Welcome to Gulf War, the battle after the war. Today, I have a sad poem I'm going to share with you, and then I'm going to get right into this business article that I'm really excited about. It's a big step in the right direction for all veterans. So I'm going to go ahead and start this now. I have to read it from my uh, tablet here because I don't have a teleprompter yet. So it starts off, uh, the name of the poem is Gulf War Curse. It's written by uh, one of my followers. Her name is Heather Dieter, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Heather. I'm sorry if I didn't. Um, <clears throat> bear with me. It's a poem that kind of hits very close to home, so if I waver in my voice, I'm sorry. Uh, do the best I can. And the warrior said, we answered the call. We left it all. We went to far-off desert land. We were ready to fight and, if necessary, give our lives for God, country, and brave warriors at our side. Night after night, the siren sounded. A strange mist was in the air, but they told us there was nothing to worry about and dismissed our despair. <clears throat> they assured us we were protected by mop gear, pills, and shots, but little did we know they were just fooling us. The oil fires turned the blue skies black, while toxic fumes rose from the fire plumes from Kuwait and Iraq. The sandstorms carry poisons throughout the land, affecting more of us than originally reported by Uncle Sam. We lost some brave warriors during our time in the sand. We'll never forget the courageous last stand. Fighting for freedom in an oppressed land, most of us returned home to parades, welcome home bands, but as celebrations would quickly come to an end, it was soon realized that casualties of wars were far from over as the Gulf War illness symptoms started to take over. Somewhere in the sands of time, the healthy parts of us were left behind. The years ahead would be tough and painful, fighting for understanding and only wishing we were mobile. I'm sorry, fighting for understanding and only wishing we were more able. Years of denials and appeals, wishing over time we might heal. We went to multiple doctors and they would only guess. Years of this diagnosis is like a game of chess. The toxic scars causing our brain and system to go haywire, undiagnosed health issues, and body and brain system failures. <clears throat> 27 years have passed. Sadly, many in our ranks have breathed their last breath. Desert Storm heroes who succumbed to the worst. Families torn apart by the Gulf War curse. Those of us left behind are aging and tired trying to live our best despite the deteriorating health reminders. Our hearts break every time we hear the news, another Gulf War veteran gone way too soon. We are the lightning and the thunder. We have fought a good fight, and we will continue this brave battle until the wrongs have been made right. Together we stand for better or worse. We are sisters and brothers, united by the Gulf War curse. And thank you, Heather. That's an awesome poem. Give me just a second to recompose myself here. Um, 
So this article that I wanted to cover is something I think I briefly spoke about months ago. The DOD may finally be forced to compensate troops who suffer from military doctor's mistakes. In other words, medical malpractice, which is a huge step because right now we have no legal recourse. So I'm just going to read through this. It's an extremely long article, so bear with me. I'll try and get through it as quick as I can. The 2020 National Defense Authorization Act would allow service members to seek compensation when military doctors make mistakes that harm them, but they will still be unable to file medical malpractice lawsuits against the federal government. On Monday night, Congress announced that it had finalized the NDAA, which must be passed by the House and Senate before going to President Trump. If the President signs the NDAA into law, it would make the first time in nearly seven decades that U.S. military personnel have had legal recourse to seek payment from the military in cases of medical malpractice. This proposed law is the result of a year's worth of efforts by lawmakers and Army Sergeant First Class Richard Stasekel, a Special Forces soldier whose lung cancer was missed by military care providers during a routine health screening. By the time Stasekel's cancer was caught, it had metastasized and is now terminal. The amendment to the NDAA was introduced by Representative Jackie Spire, from California and is designed to circumvent the Ferris Doctrine, a decades-old legal rule that bars members of the military from suing the government for negligence or wrongdoing. This is an avenue for relief for service members who have been egregiously victimized by a system of incompetence, Spire told Task and Purpose. And I think it'll have the benefit of holding medical professionals more accountable in the long run as well. In 1950, the Supreme Court ruled in Ferris v. United States that the federal government could not be held liable in the event a service member's injury or death is deemed to be incident to service. The Ferris Doctrine has been widely criticized for its broad application to a range of incidents from workplace violence to training mishaps, sexual assault, and military medical malpractice, and for creating a double standard wherein civilians can sue and service members cannot. Over the past year, state schools support, I'm sorry, supporters on Capitol Hill have introduced legislation in his name in both the House and Senate that aim to carve out a narrow exception in the Federal Tort Claims Act, which governs how citizens can sue the government. The original bills would have allowed troops to file lawsuits against the military for medical malpractice in specific cases like those that occur at a stateside military hospital where both civilians and service members are treated. While the final language in the NDAA is a victory for critics of the Ferris Doctrine, it's different from the original legislation in one key way. Service members are still barred from suing the government in federal court. Instead, the military would be required to establish procedures to investigate claims of medical malpractice. And if it's found to have occurred, the military would be responsible for determining what damages should be paid out. That still could be kind of shady, considering they're controlling what's being paid out. Under current policy, troops can still submit a claim, but they're almost always bounced back and denied under Ferris. 
Was it what we started? <clears throat> sorry, was it what we started with? No, but it's a step in the right direction. Stay school told, told task and purpose. Next year, it could be a bigger step, and the year after that, it can be even a bigger leap. If passed, the amendment is expected to cost roughly $400 million over the next 10 years, members of Spire staff told Task and Purpose. The provision would allow claims for personal injury or death caused by the intelligent, I'm sorry, caused by the negligent or wrongful act or omission of a Department of Defense healthcare provider in the performance of medical, dental, or related healthcare functions while such provider was acting within the scope of employment, according to the finalized version of the DNAA. I said that wrong, it's NDAA. In the event a service member is harmful or is harmed or killed due to medical negligence, they or their family would have two years to bring a claim forward after the alleged malpractice occurs. In the case of claims that are active when the bill is signed into law, those service members or their families would have two years from the time the bill passes to bring their claims forward. Additionally, claims can only be filed for mistakes made at a covered military medical treatment facility, such as a stateside military hospital or those on large bases overseas. The bill does not extend to medical malpractice that occurs in a combat zone. I think this is something that can allow families moving forward a little bit of peace of mind to know that other people still got their back, said Representative Mark Wayne Mullen from Oklahoma, who joined Democratic and Republic lawmakers in supporting the Sergeant First Class Richard Stayskull Military Medical Accounta Accountability Act. That House bill laid the groundwork for the medical malpractice provision in this year's defense spending bill. The amendment has been celebrated as a major compromise, a way to get something passed that would provide troops with a measure of legal recourse in instances of medical malpractice without opening the doors to have the military sued by its own members. We've been in a stalemate where the Supreme Court has refused to revisit Ferris and Congress has refused to exercise its authority to instruct the Supreme Court that Ferris was wrong or should be adjusted. Eugene R. Fidel, who teaches military justice at Yale Law School, told Task and Purpose, it's been a, starting, a staring contest that's gone on for decades, and anyone who is able to break that logjam, I think, deserves a medal, added Fidel, who spoke before Congress on the Ferris Doctrine in 2009. Because Ferris is a Supreme Court precedent, it can only be changed two ways. Either the nation's highest court could reverse its original ruling, which has yet to happen, and given that the court has declined to hear recent petitions, seems unlikely, or Congress could pass legislation which brings us to where we are now. The change proposed by Congress would not alter the Ferris Doctrine itself, rather it would give troops a way around it. It's not opening the Ferris Doctrine at all, Mullen said, of the provision in the NDAA. That was never our objective. It has a place, and rightfully so. The language that's in there has a place, but this, this right here, it takes it a little bit farther and makes sure we take care of those that unfortunately fall through the cracks. Despite the compromise, there are concerns that this step forward could lead to pitfalls down the road. 
It's a way for the military to avoid its worst nightmare of having to account to an independent branch of government when it makes a mistake. Dr. Dwight Sterling, an Army lawyer and CEO of the Center for Law and Military Policy, told Task and Purpose. Military officials should be accountable to courts for everyday non-combat-related negligence, continued Sterling, who testified before a House Armed Services Subcommittee hearing on medical malpractice and the Ferris Doctrine in April. That reads a little long. The judicial process guarantees injured parties access to information, providing them a way to get the details about the, accidental, the accident or misconduct that hurt them. Internal processes run by the military do not have such guarantees and are subject to command level manipulation. Questions remain about how claims process will function in practice. For some military families who have run up against the Ferris Doctrine ban on medical malpractice lawsuits, the idea of counting on the military to investigate what went wrong and then decide what damages to pay out is a hard pill to swallow, like I was saying earlier. Look at how hard it was for me to find out what happened to my son, Susie Way told Task and Purpose. After Jordan Way, a Navy corpsman, went in for a routine shoulder surgery at a base hospital <clears throat> in December 2017, his military doctors prescribed him oxycodone to help with the pain. As Task and Purpose previously reported, despite his complaints that the drugs weren't working, the dosage was increased. Four days later, he was dead. He'd taken 82 pills as prescribed by his doctors. Wei's death was originally ruled as an overdose, but the answer didn't sit right with his parents. Susie and Dana Wei, who repeatedly questioned why so many drugs were prescribed and demanded to know what happened in the days leading up to their son's death. After more than a year of emails, calls and desperate pleas, the Navy launched an investigation and determined that Jordan Way had not died of an overdose, <clears throat> but instead of opioid toxicity. Now the military is going to be responsible for telling me what they did wrong, Susie Way said. Of the proposed claims process, they're going to exhaust people. That's what they're trying to do. They try to exhaust you until you just say, I can't do it anymore. For his part, Stasekel said he sees this as a trial run, a chance to show skeptics that allowing service members to file for damages against the government won't undermine good order and discipline, erode the military's current compensation system, or open the doors to a flood of claims. It's not going to bankrupt the government and the military is not going to crumble. I think it's going to gain movement over time and I think somebody else will step up for the next thing and add it to this. And it'll just, do, just be something that grows and eventually the areas will be covered that need to be covered for military service members. It's still unclear whether this change could pave the way for future amendments to allow, uh, allow for claims on sexual assault, workplace violence, or training incidents, all of which remain barred by Ferris. I think we need to see how this plays out, Spire told Task and Purpose. I'm not fearful about this program being implemented because I think we'll have the ability to offer amendments in the future, NDAAs, and make sure there's vigorous oversight and we'll call upon the Government Accountability Office 
to do reports and reviews. As Stayskull's year-long fight nears its conclusion, he remains cautiously optimistic that he and other service members like him will have the chance to make their case against the government. They're going to have more rights, he said, before pausing to add, no, not more rights, but the same equal rights as everybody else. I'm hoping to see it through, said Stayskull, who spends his time with his family in Pinehurst, North Carolina, when he's not on the road campaigning to get a version of his namesake bill passed into law. Or at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, for treatment. That's my goal, he added. I'm excited about it, Representative Mark Wayne Mullen told Task and Purpose. I just hope Witch is around when this bill gets signed into place. And that's it, right there. It's a, a big step in the right direction. It's not a 100% fix, but it's definitely something that's well worth fighting for. Um, and definitely something that's years and years behind. It sh this should have been done a long time ago. And anyway, I wanted to get through those things. Thank you again, Heather, for the poem and Task and Purpose for the article. And I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their week. Enjoy the rest of your holidays. I hope you don't get too drunk on Christmas. I hope everybody gets everything they asked for. I hope everybody had a great time at Thanksgiving. I know I did. Um, that's it. Just remember, don't forget to hug a vet. <laughs>